Imagine what it must be like to be in a constant state of war. Constantly worried that you're going to be killed. Constantly worried about exploding shells, about assassins, about enemies taking your home. Uh, It must be uh, fairly stressful, and it may create quite a lot of mental anguish. It strikes me uh, that our uh, lesson today, Romans chapter 5, from where I'll be preaching... Uh, talks about the cessation of war, uh, that we are at peace with God. But I wonder, after having been in a state of conflict with God before we came to Christ, if we ever really uh, believe that we are in fact at peace. Is there not a part of us that refuses to believe that we're actually at peace with God? Are we Hero Anoda? Maybe you've never heard of Hero Anoda. But I'm going to tell you about him because I think he's really fascinating. Hiro Onoda was a Japanese soldier during World War II. He was assigned uh, to an army unit on one of the islands uh, in the Philippine chain. In 1944, he was sent there as a young 22-year-old lieutenant with these orders. You are absolutely forbidden to die by your own hand. It may take may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we'll come back for you. Until then, so long as you have one soldier, you are to continue to lead him. You may have to live on coconuts. If that's the case, live on coconuts. Under no circumstances are you to give up your life voluntarily. And so in 1944, a 20-year-old lieutenant is sent to a small island in the Philippine chain. By 1945, the Allies invaded the island he was on and began killing most of his comrades. In fact, the Allied invasion was so successful that his uh, larger unit decided to break up into smaller cells of 10 or fewer soldiers and take to the mountains in guerrilla warfare. And as the Allies continued to advance, one by one, they they dwindled these cell groups down to where there were uh, none left except for uh, young Hero and his group. And gradually they began to get whittled down to where there were only four of them. And then, in the summer of 1945, the Japanese surrendered. And Hiro and his three companions were still living in the mountains in the Philippines. B-17 bombers began dropping leaflets all through the summer and fall of 1945 to tell people that the war was over. And Hero and his men, in order to survive, had to hunt and kill. And mostly this meant killing the cattle and livestock of the local villagers. And once, while killing a local cow, they found a pamphlet that said this. The war ended in August, on August 15th. Come down from the mountains. They read that and they didn't believe it. Because no one in their chain of command had told them that the war was over. And they didn't believe it. And so, they continued to fight. Leaflets were being dropped. They found more. Every time a leaflet was dropped, they read it, and they found a reason not to believe it. One of the leaflets told them that if they surrendered, they would receive hygienic succor and be hauled to Japan. Uh, They believed this must be a hoax because no enemy would treat you well and take you back home. And so they chose not to believe the leaflets that were dropped. Neighbors uh, would come. People from the community would come. They would drop more leaflets. They would leave newspapers in the jungle with headlines, Japan surrenders. Uh, They would send photographs 
and letters that came from relatives for them. They would leave them in the jungle hoping that these men would see it and know that the war was over. They even, their friends even came to the island that they put up loudspeakers and they would announce it over loudspeakers. The war is over. Come down from the mountains. You don't have to be here anymore. And the men always believed it was a lie because it was always too good to be true. And they had their orders and they knew what was right. And this went on for decades. For decades. The first of their crew surrendered in 1949. He made it, uh, he made it four years and he gave up. He surrendered. The next one wasn't killed until 1954. Because in this whole intervening time, these four men would raid villages. They would fire on civilians thinking that they were allied spies. And this, the proof that they were allied spies came because every time they fired on a village, a search party came out to hunt for them. And they assumed this meant, this must mean that these are allied soldiers out to get us. So one of them was killed in a skirmish in 1954. One was killed, um, the next one was killed um, almost 20 years later, October 1972. The third of these four men was killed. And that left our young lieutenant hero, Onoda, by himself with strict orders that as long as he had one man alive, he would continue to fight. That happened in 1972. In 1974, a young college dropout named Nurio Suzuki decided he was going to tour Asia. And he was going to look for three things on his tour of Asia. One was a panda. The second was the abominable snowman. And the third was Hiro Onoda. (laughs) And believe it or not, he found Hiro Onoda. But no one else could find this guy. He found him, but could not convince him to come out of the woods. And Hero told him that he would only surrender if his commanding officer came in person to give him the order. And so this young Mr. Suzuki goes back to Japan and finds the former Major Taniguchi, who is now a bookseller in Tokyo. Finds him, takes him back to a prearranged place in the middle of the jungle on this Philippine island. And this major meets with this young captain and reads to him the official surrender decree from the Japanese army telling him to lay down his arms. Onoda was shocked and at first disbelieving. It took some time for the news to sink in. We really lost the war. How could they have been so sloppy? Suddenly everything went black. A storm raged inside me. I felt like a fool for having been so tense and cautious on the way here. Worse than that, what had I been doing for all these years? Gradually, the storm subsided, and for the first time, I really understood. My 30 years as a guerrilla fighter for the Japanese army were abruptly finished. This was the end. I pulled back the bolt on my rifle and unloaded the bullets. Mr. Onoda went on to live a a rather full life. He got married and he and his wife moved to Brazil and ran, of all things, an outdoor survival camp for children. (laughs) And And then he returned to Japan some years later and he died in 2014 at the age of 91. Absolutely true story. It seems to me that when it comes to our relationship with God, we might well be Mr. Hiro Onoda, not believing that the war is actually over and we can come down out of the mountains. You see, life is kind of hard and there often feels like you're in a constant state of war. Some of you have gone through a deep emotional trauma. 
Some of you have gone through marriage difficulties and financial difficulties and, and, and uh, fertility difficulties. And some of you have experienced the death of a loved one. And some of you, some of you have gone through entire years, many years in a row. And I'm one of these. I've said this to my wife. If, I feel like it's been years since I've had a win. Can I just get one win? Can something just go our way one time? Maybe... Maybe that's you. And maybe you feel like you've been in a constant state of war. And maybe you think that your enemy is God. And maybe you think that God's punishing you for something you've done, or something you haven't done, or something you didn't do very well. Well, Paul, the apostle, has something to say about that. And his message is really simple. The war is over. Come down out of the mountains. It's over and it's done. He says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has just spent the previous five chapters explaining how we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And now he pulls it together with that therefore. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, what this means necessarily is that you have peace with God. You see, justification in the eyes of God necessarily accompanies reconciliation. God is not a dispassionate judge who rubber stamps you and says, okay, not guilty, moving on. God is actually a father from whom we've been estranged, and he wants to rebuild that relationship with us. And the amazing truth is that God's undeserved love has, through Christ, transformed people from being God's enemies into being his friends. The war is over. Come down out of the mountains. God is not making war on you. And he never was. Because in Christ there is no condemnation. And in Christ we have peace with God. And it isn't just a cessation of hostility. The biblical idea of peace goes a bit further than that. It talks about our tranquility, our well-being. In spite of circumstances, we have the sort of peace with God that is all about our well-being. And notice, too, from this passage that it's the entire Trinity at work in your well-being. It's God the Father who has made peace with us through the work, death, burial, and resurrection of God the Son. And the last verse, verse 5, says that it's God the Holy Spirit that lavishes this love upon us. That the entire Godhead has made peace with you. Then the entire Godhead is working for your well-being, and the entire Godhead loves you. You are no longer at war. Come down out of the mountains and surrender to that. It's a pretty sweet deal. But see, troubles will still come our way. This, this tranquility, this peace, this well-being is not an absence of hardship. And Paul goes on to explain what that looks like. In the life of, of a believer. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That is a reference to the justification that he's just spent four chapters talking about. This grace that we now stand, present tense. This grace that we live in is the same grace that saved us. The grace that saved us is the grace that holds us. The grace that brought us out of darkness, out of the mountains, out of the war, is the same grace that will sustain the peace. I had a football coach when I was in high school who uh, was a clever guy and liked to say clever things. He was funny. 
Um, our, our high school team, we, we made the state playoffs one year, and we were, if you know anything about football, this may go over your head, I don't know. It's, it, it's a Grove City crowd. How do I know what you know? Um, uh, uh, but, but, but this football coach of ours, we, we were a running team, and we made the playoffs running the football. And someone asked him, a media person asked him, well, are you going to try to throw the ball more now that you're in the playoffs? And he looked at him with a wry smile and said, you've got to dance with the one that brung you. You've you got to dance with the one that brung you. If in that, in that story, then, if, if running the football is what got you here, that's what you do because that's how you're successful. If grace is what brought us to where we are, then grace is the thing that's going to carry us on. We don't need to fall into the lie that says grace saved us and now our effort will maintain it. It is all grace coming from God. It is all His work on us. And it is a privilege to have access to this God and this grace. And it gives us a certain, a certain confidence, right? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The glory of God, the illumination of man's whole being. When he meets face to face for the first time, God in all his glory, irradiating you, shining through you, exposing you and everything about you and loving you anyway. The glory of God completely enveloping you and choosing you, and loving you, and caring for you. We have that kind of confidence, because we have that kind of access to the grace that saves and the grace that sustains. The war is over, come down out of the mountains. Come down out of the mountains. But we resist this sort of truth, don't we? It sounds too good uh, to be true. We are prisoners, and we are in war, and the enemy doesn't treat you this well. There must be a catch. There must be something I still have to do. Uh, the people telling me this message of God's grace and forgiveness that it applies only to me, something must be wrong with them. They're missing something that they're supposed to be telling us to do. So they're the enemy too. They're the, the villagers that must be spies for the enemy. So I'm going to reject them as well. Sometimes we, we reject this kind of message not just because it seems too good to be true, uh, but because we have a sort of a false sense of nostalgia. Things were better back then. I have to tell you, things were not better back then. <laughs> they weren't. I look at this nostalgia. I see this in cars. I'm kind of a car guy. I like cars, right? You, you talk to car people, and a lot of car people will tell you, man, there's this romance with the 1960s muscle car, right? The 1966 Mustang. Like, this is an awesome car. I have to tell you, my favorite car as a kid growing up, the 1993 Mustang GT. It was a great car. But you know that car, by every measurable standard, is inferior to today's cars. By every measurable standard. They're not better. That car, the 1993 Mustang GT, had got 250 horsepower. My Subaru almost does that. All right? They were not better. The past was not better. And yet we think if we just go back, if we can just force people to be righteous, it will make everything better. We already know that that doesn't work. Because the war is over, and the peace has been bought and paid for. And our job is to surrender to that peace and come down out of the mountains. Nostalgia will not win the day. And it is, it does seem to be too good to be true. The problem is, it is true. Our mountain soldiers thought that those pamphlets they saw were too good to be true, except that they were. <laughs> it's simply true. The war is over. Come down out of the mountains. And something else happens 
with the cessation of hostility. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We don't just rejoice in the hope. We don't just rejoice in the good things. We can actually rejoice in the bad things. But I want to be careful here. Because we don't rejoice in the evil things. We don't rejoice in the suffering because they're happening. Evil is always evil. Bad is always bad. And we don't want to ever change that and call evil good. Suffering is always suffering. But what Paul is saying is that we rejoice in the suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. That God is using the suffering. That when we meet that, in the place of faith that he provides for us, those trials produce within us a sort of patient endurance, knowing that God will not abandon us. When you're going through the dark valley, it's going to stink. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see God standing there with you. It's going to feel like he abandoned you. But what happens when you come through that dark place, you look, you look back and you realize he was there with you always and he taught you something and he molded you and he changed you. He refined you, producing in you character. I have a good friend who was laid off from his employment twice. Happened to him twice in three years. He had a wife and three children. The first time he was laid off, it completely shook his family. They, they went into pure panic. And the family, before that time, it, things were difficult. But they came through that difficulty and they realized that God had, in fact, not abandoned them. And many of the things that they had thought uh, were, were providing them with security were actually all an illusion. That God was the only thing providing them with security. And then he lost his job a second time. Three years later, he was laid off again. And this time they entered it knowing that God was in the middle of it. And they never panicked. And their family was completely changed. And I have to tell you, I've known his children since they were like four. They were horrible. They were horrible. Just unruly little kids. The oldest is in college and he's a great young man. He's a great Christian young man. Because he had a family that had to go through like a tough refining thing. And it radically changed who they were. But when you're in it, you can't see it. And it feels hopeless. But God has told us that he's not at war with you. And while he did not bring this hardship into your life, he will use this hardship. He will change it and he will change you. And you will look back and you'll rejoice. It may seem shallow now and it may seem foolish, but it's true. It's true. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope is strengthened and confirmed by the experience of God bearing us through the suffering and by the power of the Holy Spirit that lavishes God's love upon us. We're not put to shame. Psalm 22.5 To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Psalm 25 Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Those who wait in the Lord will not be embarrassed. They will not come out on the other side of it feeling foolish, feeling that they believed a lie. Oh, it may feel untrue at the moment. It may feel like God's not there at the moment. But when you've come through it, you'll know that God was there. And you don't have to be ashamed that somehow you believed a fairy tale because you believed in a triune God. 
who all three persons were working for your behalf, working for your peace, working for your, tra- for your, uh, for your tranquility, and working for your betterment. Because the war is over. It ended the moment Jesus died and, ro- and was raised again from the dead. The war was over. And you've been called to, re- to surrender to that and come down out of the mountains. Because there's nothing left to fight for. And there's no enemy left to fight. Because the battle is won and the war will ultimately be won. And so I want to encourage you tonight. If you're in a place, a dark place, and you feel completely bombarded, and you're tempted to think that God is your enemy, that he's out to get you, that he's out to punish you, God is not punishing you. He may well be shaping you. He may well be training you. And he may well be teaching you through the hardship you're going through. But he's not punishing you because he's not your enemy. And it really is safe to just come down out of the mountains and stop fighting a guerrilla war that you can't win. Because it's over and done through Jesus Christ. We say all this in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.